Hey there, church family. I hope you've all had an amazing week. Great to have you with us again today. We're going to turn to the Word of God in just a minute. In fact, I'm going to invite you to open your Bibles to Mark chapter 4, and we'll dive in in just a minute. A couple of things I want to remind you about. We are holding a baptism service for those who would like to be baptized in water. If you've never taken that step of obedience to the Lord, I want to encourage you to do that. You can go to thriveglendort.org to sign up to be a part of that. Uh, we're going to practice uh, distancing and, and safety here at the Thrive Center. Uh, for those that are being baptized, uh, we're going to have different time slots. So you'll be hearing about when, when your time is to, to come here to the Thrive Center. And we're going to then celebrate that next Sunday. We'll record those. And then that following Sunday, we're going to celebrate those baptisms together during our service. So if you've not taken the step of being baptized in water, we encourage you to sign up to be a part of that. And then I also want to remind you, every Sunday morning uh, at 9.45, from 9.45 to 10.15, we have a time of prayer. And I want to encourage you to be a part of that. It's open to everyone. It's a great time to come together to just cry out to the Lord, to lift each other before the Lord, and to prepare our hearts before we uh, go into our, our service time. And so I want to encourage you to be a part of that. Every Sunday morning, We'd love to see you there, can be a part of that time of prayer. So open your Bibles to Mark 4, and I want to talk about the presence of Jesus today, the presence of Jesus in our lives. So I have a story for you. When I was a kid, I remember one time my mom took my sister and I uh, shopping, she was shopping rather, and we went with her, and uh, we were in this store, and I don't remember what kind of store it was. I just remember I was goofing around and, and just playing and uh, hiding. I think there were some clothing racks, and so I was like going under the, the clothing rack and hiding. And But there came a point in this big store where I lost my mom. And I can remember, I was, I was little. Uh, I, I must have been maybe five, five years old. Uh, and it's just a vivid memory just burned into my, into my, into my mind. Uh, I just remember freaking out. I absolutely freaked out. In fact, I can still recall just the panic that I was feeling uh, as I searched around the store for my mom. And what's amazing is, is all of those years ago, I can still recall these thoughts that just started running through my mind. As a little guy, just, just as a little kid, I started thinking about what if, I never, what if I never find my mom? What if I never see my mom, my sister, or my family, my dad, if I never see them again? How am I going to survive? And I'm starting to think about how do I get home? I don't even know how to get home. So, of course, this is before cell phones, and this is before right, some of the technology we have that makes it easy to connect with people. And, and I was outside of my mind. I was so panicked. I was so scared. Now, of course, uh, I'm a little kid. I, I didn't think about this, but, of course, my mom didn't leave me there. She didn't just take off. It's not like she, she got into the store and was looking around and was like, well, I, I can't find Barry, so at least I have Jen and uh, I'm good to go. And, uh, you know, one out of two is not bad. And then just bailed and took off. Of course she didn't do that. She's, she's a great mom. And so she's looking for me. Now, when she found me, she wasn't super happy. She wasn't in a great mood at that point. But she found me, and I was just relieved that I did not have to spend the rest of my life on my own. 
It's amazing, isn't it, how quickly our imaginations can run away with us, not just as kids, not just as five-year-olds, but even as adults. I don't know if you have moments like that where something will happen, there's circumstances in your life, things going on, where your imagination just takes off and you start thinking about every scenario, every bad thing, every outcome. And what ends up happening, our brains are absolutely amazing, is that our brains, when we imagine things, that there is a physical response and there's a chemical response that takes place where our stress hormones will increase and our heart rate will increase. And quite often, your mind won't, won't know the difference between what's real and what's imagined. And, and it can create that sense of panic and dread that can really overwhelm us. Well, I want to talk to you today about this story out of Scripture where we see the disciples facing a similar situation. In fact, it's found in Mark 4, as I mentioned before, and we're going to read verses 35 to 41. So Mark 4, starting in verse 35, says this, That day, when evening had come, he said to his disciples, Let us go over to the other side. Leaving the crowd behind, they took, uh, they took him along, just as he was in the boat. And there was also other boats with him. And a furious squall came up, and the waves bro- broke over the boat, uh, so that it was nearly swamped. And Jesus was in the stern, sleeping on a cushion. And the disciples woke him and said to him, Teacher, don't you care if we drown? He got up, rebuked the wind, and said to the waves, Quiet, be still. And the wind died down, and it was calm. It was completely calm. And he said to his disciples, Why are you so afraid? Do you still have no faith? And they were terrified and asked each other, Who is this, even the wind? And the waves obey him. This may be a story that you're familiar with from Scripture, and it's definitely a passage that I've preached out uh, out of before in our church. Uh, but there's some things that are happening here that I think are important for us to pay attention to today, especially in the season uh, that we're in as a as a nation, as as the world, as things are so unstable, as things are happening around us that are way outside of our control. There's some things here that we can glean, that we can understand about who Jesus is in our lives. So let's take a little closer look, a little background here. So the Sea of Galilee, of course, located in Israel, in the northern part of Israel, uh, is down in this incredible valley. It's absolutely beautiful. Uh, and it's not really a sea. It's really more of a, a big lake. It's, uh, lake Tahoe is much bigger than the Sea of Galilee. It's, it's, uh, it's a relatively small uh, body of water, but it's located in the, in the Jordan Valley. And what happens is, is as the heat in the desert, as the, as the heat of the day kind of hits in the afternoon and uh, that, that, that air starts rising, what ends up happening is the pressure forces the air to come down into that valley. And as it does, like here in Southern California, we have the Santa Ana winds that uh, even this last week, we saw just those really strong winds because as that air descends, it picks up speed and can really cause a lot of damage. Why in the Jordan Valley, that air, that, that wind comes down into the valley and it hits this lake. And the, the Sea of Galilee is actually fairly shallow. It's not very deep. And so because it's not deep, it's able to stir that water up in the, 
and the sandbars and the, and the, the, the terrain under the water, uh, along with that wind, cause waves to, to really form quite quickly on that lake. So, of course, we have on the Sea of Galilee, there's all these fishermen and all of these fishing boats. And so here's Jesus and the disciples, along with a couple other boats. They're in the middle of the lake. They're on one side, and Jesus says, let's go to the other side. And so these would have been a fishing boat. It would have been a fishing boat that they were in. And one, one of the things that was unique about these boats is that they didn't sit very high out of the water. The sides of the boat were pretty low because they were fishing boats and they needed to be able to pull the nets into the boat when they were out fishing. And of course, they didn't have hydraulics and equipment like we have today to be able to aid them in that. And so the boat sat really low in the water. And so the waves didn't have to be extremely high. You know, I'm thinking, I read this story and I, I picture like the crabbing boats up in Alaska where there's just 15 and 20 foot waves, but that wouldn't have been the case in Galilee. The, the waves would have been just big enough to get over the low sides of this boat, but the boat starts filling with water and the Bible says that there was even that the boats were becoming swamped. It's interesting though that some of the disciples, not all of them, but but a good portion of them were fishermen. A good portion of them had grown up on this lake, literally had spent their lives fishing on the Sea of Galilee, had grown up maybe even in that very same boat and had experience out on the water. And, and really, they had all been through storms. This wasn't their first rodeo. This is what wasn't their first time being in a storm out on the Sea of Galilee. But they're in the boat. And they, they, of course, because they're fishermen, they know what they're doing. They know what they're doing. They're, they're not amateurs. Yet in this moment, there's this storm that comes up and they start panicking. Here's another thing to note. They had just spent an incredible day, a full day of ministry with Jesus. Jesus had spent the day, and if you read the previous portion in Mark chapter 4, he had spent the day teaching the people. He had, there's a great crowd that had gathered. In fact, he had been teaching them about the kingdom of God. He used the, the parable of the seed and the sower. He talked about not hiding your, your light under a bowl and making sure that your light was available to, to light up the whole house. And he talked about the mustard seed, though, though it's the smallest of all seeds, it becomes a great bush and that the, the birds of the air can come and rest. And so there was just this day of full effective ministry. They had been with him. They'd been listening to him. I imagine they were laughing. They were enjoying their time. And so their hearts were full as they get into these boats. And they go from this joyous time, from this full time, from this teaching time into this moment of panic. Isn't it amazing how quickly things can turn, how things can go from being really great to really dreadful in a moment? And so this is where we find Jesus and the disciples. They're out on this lake. They're out in this body of water. They're out in this place where there's the storm, there's the waves, uh, it's getting dark, and they're freaking out. And so, of course, this is where we read. And they turn to Jesus in the midst of them freaking out, just, ah! And they go to Jesus who is sleeping in the stern on a cushion. In the midst of everything that's going on, Jesus is taking a nap. Now, there's a part of Jesus' humanity that's really evident here. He had just had a full day of preaching and teaching 
and he was tired. And I tell you, I can relate to that. And any, anyone who teaches and preaches will, will know this. When you've spent time preaching, uh, usually at the end of it, you're pretty exhausted. It's, it's physically, it's emotionally, it's spiritually, it's taxing. It takes a lot out of you. And so Jesus hadn't just preached for a half hour or for an hour. He had spent the whole day teaching. And so physically, he was, he was tired. And so he's in this boat. And, you know, at first, it's probably just rocking back and forth a little bit and just kind of put him right to sleep. And, and yet in the midst of the storm, Jesus continues to sleep. And so they go to him and they wake him up. And they're crying out to him. And their statement is this, Jesus, don't you care? Jesus, don't you care if we drown? Don't you care that our lives, that our, our lives are at stake in this moment? I tell you what, when I think about 2020 and, and now as we move into 2021, uh, I, I can't really think of a time where the whole world has really been in this place where we've watched this pandemic just really rage across the planet where it's maybe on the hearts of so many to go, God, where are you in this? What are you doing? Where are you? God, are you sleeping? God, are you missing in action? God, where, where are you at work in the midst of it, in the midst of all of this? In the midst of this storm, God, why are you asleep? That was the response of the disciples. Jesus, don't you care? Don't you care if we drown? So, of course, Jesus awakens, he gets up, and he speaks to the storm, he speaks to the wind, and he just says, quiet, quiet, be still. And immediately, everything just went completely calm, which would have been amazing. In fact, the irony of it is, is then they're freaking out, then they're, they're, they're so afraid because they, they're overwhelmed by the power of Jesus they were terrified because of his, his authority and his power to even speak to the wind. Again, this is a place that we're familiar with. They knew that storms didn't just die down in a moment. Yet at the very word of Jesus, that, the, that wind died down. But then Jesus addresses them and he speaks to them. And, and it can sound like a really harsh rebuke. But I want to put this in, in, in kind of frame it in a way that that really understands the tone of the scripture and I believe the heart of Jesus towards uh, his disciples. So after he speaks to the wind and to the waves, he addresses the disciples and he says to them, why? Why? Why, why do you still have no faith? Why are you still afraid? Why are you freaking out? Why are you waking me up in this panic? Why? What's going on inside of you? See, Jesus says to them, why do you not, ha not have faith? Do you still have no faith? I believe this is a passage and a term that can really get misconstrued and misinterpreted for us as believers. Of course, Jesus says in multiple places in the word of God that we need to have faith. We need to believe. We need to trust that God can move. In fact, Jesus says that if you have the faith the size of a mustard seed, that you can tell a mountain to be moved and it will be cast into the ocean. But I've grown up in church. 
I've been around Christians my whole life. I've gone to Bible college. I've trained. I've, I've been in multiple churches. And I'll tell you, more often than not, I hear that passage and that idea being something that is kind of a mustering up of, I've just got to have more faith. If I just had more faith, I would be able to speak to this or do this. And even out of this passage, if I had more faith, that I could speak to the storm and tell it to be still. But I want to remind us today that our faith is not in our faith. Our faith is not in our faith. Jesus didn't tell us that if we just had more faith in ourselves to do something, that we could do it. He says, put your faith in me. See, the faith that the the disciples were lacking was the faith to trust him. The faith to know that just because he was with them, because his presence was there with them, that they could be secure, that they could rest easy about what was going on around them. Now, storms can be terrifying. Storms can really stir things up, and we can have real responses to those storms. But it's what we think about Jesus in the midst of the storm that matters. And I believe that when Jesus says to them, why do you still have no faith? He's not addressing their, 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 the circumstance of the storm. I believe he's really addressing the question of, Jesus, don't you care? The fact that he, they would, after having walked with him and ministered to him and listened to him and watched him, watched the testimony of his life and the ministry of as he healed and, and touched people's lives, that they would be able to, in some part of their hearts, come up with that phrase that would say, don't you care? Jesus, don't you care? And so I think when Jesus addresses their lack of faith, it's not in their ability to tell the storm to be quiet. He's addressing that part of them that doubts that Jesus cares, that God loves them and God is with them. That's the thing that he is concerned about. Of course he cares. Of course he cares. Jesus cares. And maybe you feel that there's those moments where, God, are you still there? And I've got to tell you, that's a part of you and it's a part of me that needs to be worked out. That's a part of us that we need to address and go, where is that coming from? Where is that fear coming from? Even over this last year, we've heard faith over fear, faith over fear. That can't just be a mantra. That can't just be something we say over and over and over again. That our faith in Jesus has to be built. It has to be established. It has to be tended to and nurtured. Because there will be storms. And of course, the enemy wants to bring all kinds of storms against us to unseat that faith. So when Jesus says, why do you still have no faith? He's not talking about the storm. He's talking to that part in them and in us that would dare to say, Jesus, don't you care? That we would arrive at a place where we would know that we know that we know that he does care despite the circumstances. And here's the thing, Jesus cared before the storm died down as well. He cared in the midst of the storm. In fact, his presence was just there with them in the midst of the storm. See, it's easy to get our eyes fixed on the wrong things, to turn our attention to the things of the world and the things in our life and and, and the things that take care of us or seemingly take care of us or provide for us, our jobs, our our homes, uh, the government, uh, health care, all of these things. 
none of which are bad in and of themselves. But we can put these things in the place of Jesus. We can put our trust in them instead of putting our trust and our hope in Jesus. And in that, our faith becomes misplaced. And when we do that, when that becomes the regular habit and the regular practice of our lives, it becomes so much easier to say, God, don't you care? God, don't you care that I don't have the money? Don't you care that I, I'm not feeling well? God, don't you care that I'm hurting? God, don't, don't you care what's happening in the world? Now, our faith would lead us to a place where we say, my faith is tied to Jesus our hope, our anchor. He does not change. There is no shadow of turning in him. He is who he says he is and he will do what he says he will do and that we can trust him absolutely, absolutely with no apology that we can trust him. See, our faith is not in our faith. Our faith has to be in Jesus alone. The Apostle Paul says this in Philippians 4, verses 12 through 13. He says this, I know what it is to be in need, and I know what it is to have plenty. I have learned the secret of being content in any and every situation, whether well-fed or hungry, whether living in plenty or in want. I can do all things through him who gives me strength. It's an amazing passage of scripture that is quoted quite often. I can do all things through Christ who gives me strength. I think sometimes we put the emphasis once again on the I can do versus in the through Christ. It's the presence of Jesus and the power of Jesus. Paul knew the, 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 the power of the reality of the presence of Jesus. It was in Jesus' presence that his life was changed and his life was transformed and saved. And Paul and his ministry faced incredible hardship. It, but the presence of Jesus and the power of Jesus and the knowledge of who Jesus was and is sustained him. It sustained him in everything he faced, shipwrecks and beatings, almost being stoned to death, being wrongly accused, all kinds of things, being falsely imprisoned. I know what it means to be in want and in, in need, but I can do all things through Christ. See, notice that he doesn't say that he never went hungry or always had everything he needed. And this is the Apostle Paul. This is the Apostle Paul, one of, one of the, the great uh, cornerstones of our, our, our faith in our teaching. Uh, and we quote him all the time. He, he wrote a good portion of the New Testament. Uh, he, he is an amazing man of God, someone that so many look up to. Yet here he is saying, I went hungry. There were times where things didn't go the way that I thought they would go. He didn't say, you know, I met Jesus and after that everything in my life was just smooth sailing, that God just always just came through and, and blessed me abundantly. No, he says, I know what it was to be hungry and fed, to be in plenty and in want, that both of those realities happened to him. But even in the midst of being hungry and in, in the midst of being in want and in the midst of being imprisoned, Paul says this, I can do all things through Christ. I can do all things through Christ who gives me strength. 
See, Jesus was the object of Paul's faith. Paul's faith was fully in Christ, in Christ alone. We also see this modeled for us in the Old Testament. In Daniel chapter 3, we see the faith of three young men who have been taken captive and, and exiled to a foreign land, three young Jewish men. And the story of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego and King Nebuchadnezzar who put up these idols and then told everyone in the land, you need to bow down and worship. And these three young men stood their ground and said no. And so in verse 16 of chapter, Daniel chapter 3, it says, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego replied to him, King Nebuchadnezzar, we do not need to defend ourselves before you in this matter. If we are thrown into the blazing furnace, the God we serve is able to deliver us from it, and he will deliver us from your majesty's hand. But even if he does not, we want you to know, your majesty, that we will not serve your gods or worship the image of gold you have set up. So here's these three guys who have been told that they have to do something by the authorities and by the powers of that day. But they take a stand for righteousness. They take a stand for their Lord. They choose not to bow down to the idol. And in, in the face of opposition, literally by everyone, they put their faith in God. That's quite the storm. And at the threat of death, and of course Nebuchadnezzar is just enraged by this, by this opposition. How dare you? How dare you take, take this stand? And so he orders that, that the, the furnace get turned up even hotter, so much so that the guards that go to throw them in, they die, they perish by the heat of those flames. And, 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 and so he takes them and he throws them into the furnace. It's interesting, though, that the three young men make this statement. We know that our God can deliver us. We know that he will deliver us. We know that God is able. And so, no, we will not bow down and worship you. But then they say this in verse 18. Even if he does not, we want you to know, we will not serve your gods. Even if he does not. I tell you, that's problematic. That's, that's a troubling statement. Because I think sometimes we look at God and say, God, if you come through for me. But to have the kind of faith that says, God, I trust you. I trust you in all circumstances. I trust that you know what's best. I trust that you are moving on my behalf, even if I can't see it. Even if God does not, we will still hold fast. That We will still put our faith in Jesus. Church, I want to have that kind of faith. I want to be that kind of person that says, God, I will trust you even if things don't go my way. Even if my very life is threatened, I will put my trust in you and trust in you. So, of course, they get thrown into the, the furnace. The, the guards perish as they're overcome by the flames. And then Nebuchadnezzar looks into the furnace, into this, into this, this raging fire, and he asks his officials, did we not throw three people in? And of course they said, yes, oh great king, yes we did. And he says, then why do I see four? And the fourth one, as they're walking around, he says, not just that there's four people in there, they're walking around and the fourth one looks like the son of man, a reference to an angel in scripture. We understand this to be Jesus, that Jesus is with them in the fire. And through that whole experience, he calls them out 
And the three of them, not four, just three of them come back out. And, and Nebuchadnezzar begins to worship their God. And, and there's this testimony of what God can do in the midst of that. And, and I've got to tell you, church, when we put our faith in Jesus in the midst of opposition, in the midst of brokenness, in the midst of challenges, when everyone else and anyone else in, in that kind of circumstance would be freaking out, but when we're able to put our trust in Jesus, there's a witness, there's a testimony that flows through that to the people around us that makes a declaration about the goodness of God and that nothing is lost to God, even in the midst of our trials and our suffering and our pain, that God is there with us and he may well be working for a higher purpose to bring glory to his kingdom and bring people to himself. And so these three young men come out and, and really a nation has changed through this moment where they make a decision and say, we will not bow down. We will stand. Here's the amazing thing. The presence of God makes all the difference. The presence of Jesus in our lives, Jesus in the boat, Jesus in the fire, Jesus in whatever circumstance you're walking through. It's the presence of Jesus makes the difference. Knowing that he is with you, knowing that he will sustain you, knowing that his plans for you are phenomenal, they're amazing. And knowing this, that even when we blow it, like the disciples did, even when we blow it, he never leaves us, he never forsakes us. He might bring correction. He might, he might have to speak some words into our lives that would adjust us, but he will never leave us, that he is always, always with us. This is the reality of the God we serve, the God who loves us so much. So as we venture, if, as we venture into this new year, as we even have a hard time conceiving of what lies ahead, when things will return to whatever <laughs> they return to, as we try to even make plans for the future, not knowing what the future holds, that we will keep this at the forefront of our hearts and our minds, that no matter what we walk through, whether it's a storm that comes up in a moment's notice, whether it's opposition, whether it's very even the threat of our very lives, that we would say, Jesus, you are with me in the storm. Jesus, your presence is with me, that you will sustain me, that I can do all things through Christ. I don't know what kind of storm you're facing. And I know for so many of you, myself included, this has been a year of many storms. I don't know what kind of storm you're facing. And honestly, right now, you might be in a season of freaking out. And your, your imagination, like me and that store as a five-year-old, your imagination might be going in every direction, imagining every scenario. But can I encourage you today, would you turn your attention to Jesus? Not to say, God, don't you care? But to say, thank you, Jesus, that you do care. Thank you, Jesus, that you're with me in the storm. Praise him, right? We sing that song, I will praise you in the storm and I will lift my hand. Those are not just empty words. But that is a posture of our lives, knowing how much he cares for us. Turn your attention to Jesus. Put your faith in him. Spend time in his presence. I want to encourage you. In fact, next week we're starting a new series. We're going to be talking about restoring rhythms in our lives. In the midst of a year that has been, 
has really thrown off so many of our rhythms? How do we restore some of the rhythms in our lives that bring us into the presence of Jesus? Spend some time this week, worship, pray, read, spend time, turn your attention, your attention to him and let him minister to you. He is with you. Jesus is with you. Would you allow him to touch your life as you look to him? Let's pray. Jesus, I thank you that you never leave us or forsake us. That Jesus, you're the, 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 the same Jesus that was in the fire, the same Jesus that was in the boat, the same Jesus that met Paul, whether in the shipwreck or in jail or in the midst of a beating, in the midst of going hungry. Jesus, you're the same Lord. You're the same King. You're the same Savior that is with us today. And we give you praise for that. We thank you that you never change, that you never leave us. And so we, we, we focus on you. Lord, help us. Help us to address those places of doubt in our lives where we would say, God, don't you care? God, that we would praise you because we know that you do. And help us, Lord, remove that doubt, remove that fear. Lord, not because of our sheer will, but because of your great mercy, because of your love for us. We surrender our lives to you. Lord, we ask you to examine us. God, I pray for anyone who is currently walking through a storm, whatever that would be. Lord, would you make your presence so known to them? Would you bring your peace in those circumstances? Would you bring your life, your joy, your hope, your healing? Lord, whatever that need is, provision, God, we speak provision in Jesus' name. God, we thank you that you hear and that you care. In Jesus' name, amen. God bless you, church. Again, sign up to be baptized if you've not done that before, not haven't done that yet. And then join us for prayer on Sundays. Uh, we also are going to have some announcements coming out in the next the next week or so about connect groups starting up. We're going to have opportunities to to connect in small groups as a church family. Um, and so look for those. Love you all. Have a great week.